Well, we are on a journey here. We have uh, embarked on this journey of uh, Genesis, Breshit. And at the rate we're going, it should be about 10 years uh, by the time we're about done. We'll see. But, um, but anyway, so this is our third installment on, uh, on this. Uh, the first week, we just looked at verse 1. You know, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, uh, and we said there, I, I, first let me just say this, I, I cannot continue to, I'll spend half the time, uh, you know, uh, telling you what we did the last few weeks. So you just have to uh, get that. Soon you'll be able to uh, uh, listen to it online or uh, whatever the case may be. But anyway, well, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the, one of the things that we always want to remember about this book is to, ha- to understand who it was written to and who, who were probably the first readers, at least from our point of view. Uh, and that is the Jewish people that were going to enter the land of Canaan, that uh, the Jewish people that were in the wilderness that uh, 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 were born in the wilderness uh, and are now perhaps at the plains of Moab, perhaps, and, and uh, uh, going into this land. And, and what you have in Breshit is their story. They needed to know, who are we? Why are we here? What is our calling? And who is this invisible God that is leading us? And so... Uh, you have in the beginning, and the point of, remember what we said about in the beginning, that it's like at the start, that's a, a good way to look, look at that word, is at the start. In other words, it, uh, the focus of the phrase in the beginning is not to look for a point of beginning, but to recognize that uh, uh, there was a point uh, where God uh, began the story. God, who is eternal, began the story. It started, it all started when God made everything, okay? Uh, And uh, we uh, looked at uh, what that word means. We looked at the fact that there's there's no, uh, it just begins with God. There is no other God. There's not two gods. There's not a war of gods. Uh, But God created the heavens and the earth. God made everything. In the beginning, when it all started, God made everything, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so that's very important. Uh, it's important that when, you, when we look at the word earth, we're not thinking of the globe. That's also important, right? Uh, that, in other words, earth as opposed to Venus and Jupiter and, you know, everything else. In the beginning, God made everything. Uh, then last week, we, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about formless and void. Tohu vabohu. Uh, and uh, we made a case looking at different places where the word tohu is used. Tohu is used in a variety of places, but this is how you remember. Bohu is never used without tohu, okay? But uh, tohu is used in a few different places, a number of different places. And it always speaks of desolation, not formless and void as what you're conjuring up in your mind when you think of the words formless and void, like the beginning of the Twilight Zone or something. You know what I mean? It's... Uh, that's not uh, how the word is used. Oftentimes, tohu is used to describe the land 
uh, uh, in judgment, in judgment, like in exile. It's uninhabitable. And, uh, and that's uh, what we basically said, that God made everything, but, the, but it's uninhabitable. Uninhabitable for who? Uninhabitable for people. Uninhabitable. Uh, and then what we have is God basically preparing the, his creation for the, for the apex of creation, and that is mankind. And that is mankind. Uh, and, and so what we see is that uh, God, uh, he, he, he prepares an orderly universe, an orderly world for people to live in. Uh, and so he sets, uh, you know, the light in the sky, there's dark, he puts the sun and the moon and the stars in order so that there's seasons and, and days, evening and morning each day. Uh, and uh, we talked about the fact that God himself, interestingly, interestingly enough, in his creation, he places himself both above it but in it, and primarily in it from the perspective of what we read in the Bible, which means uh, that, that God makes promises to his creation uh, that he obligates himself to uh, keep, uh, that uh, he, uh, he, ha- he makes covenants uh, and that he uh, works within this creation even though it becomes marred with, uh, with sin. Uh, and so the, but the main thing that we want to get out of what we've looked at so far, which uh, basically goes up to about verse, we'll say verse um, 21, and, uh, and that is, that God made everything and he has prepared it for mankind to live in, okay? And we made all kinds of applications about the sovereignty of God and, and, uh, and so on. Uh, and now, uh, uh, oh, one other thing, and this is very important, because I know some of us love to dwell on uh, the difficult parts of these verses. And there are difficult parts, People differ on uh, how verse 2 relates to verse 1, you know, uh, and people have come up with all kinds of uh, concepts and ideas, uh, uh, you know, about formless and void, and what did God actually do when he made the heavens and the earth, and does he make everything in seven days, or is he preparing what he's, what he's already made, setting it up in an orderly way? Well, what's interesting is that when you read uh, the Psalms, uh, the psalmist does not seem to be too consumed with those questions. But what does the psalmist, uh, what is the psalmist consumed with? The fact that God did all this. The fact that there is one God and that he did all of this. And that should be our reaction uh, indeed, uh, you know, indeed as well. If you look at Psalm 104 for a second, Psalm 104 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chamber in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. He established the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. 
Thou didst cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At, the, at thy rebuke they fled. At the sound of thy thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place which thou didst establish them. For thou, for, for thou didst send a ba- set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. And then it goes on and on and on about uh, the creation. And of course, it's all, it begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art very great. And you know, when you read uh, Psalm 137, and uh, we know that, right? Hodu ladonai kitov ki leolam chazdo. You know, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Well, if you look down, it says uh, here in uh, verse 5, To Him who made the heavens with skill, for His loving kindness is everlasting. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His loving kindness is everlasting. To Him who made the great lights, uh, the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night, for His loving kindness is everlasting. That's how we should respond to this, and that is why it's here. Those people who are on the edge of going into uh, Canaan needed to know that their God, this God who redeemed them, this God who, who uh, brought them through the wilderness, this is the one who made everything. That he is not part of the creation, but he, he made everything. He oversees the creation. He is the sovereign king. He is the sovereign Lord. And no one rules besides him. No one uh, takes his place. He oversees it all. And and so uh, when we read these words, it should cause us to be awestruck, you know, by who God is. That he indeed has made this world and made it perfect so that we could dwell here so that we could dwell here. Now, so let's take a look here now uh, in verse 21. Because verse 21 begins a new section. Okay? Uh, And that new section is the beginning of living beings. Living beings. Prior to this, it's about separating the waters, creating dry ground... Uh, and making days and seasons and time and where the sun is and the stars uh, and everything else, okay? Uh, or actually, uh, verse, uh, actually, verse 20. Actually, verse 20. Verse 20. So we read here, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw 
uh, that it was good. So let's, let's stop there. So here is the beginning of, uh, of living creatures. And you know what's very interesting? Uh, this raises all kinds of uh, interesting late night uh, discussions that we might want to have. Because you know what living creatures uh, is? Nefesh uh, Chaya. Uh, so there you go. Nefesh Chaya. Nefesh is the Hebrew word that is translated soul. Like, oh my soul? How do you like those apples? Right? Uh, and so uh, all of all the things that are alive are called nefesh chaya. Okay? And, uh, and so they're different. It's different from everything else that God, that, that God makes. Okay? Uh, we'll see that the vegetation grows out of the ground. Uh, we'll see uh, that uh, uh, God blesses. Uh, the uh, the animals and everything that's uh, you know that's um, that's in the water and and so on. So it is interesting here. There's a couple of observations to make. In verse 21, you have the word created again. There's only three places where you have created. It's in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Here, where it says God created the great sea monsters, and then where God creates human beings. So people wonder, why do you have the word create here? Create great sea monsters. Well, different answers uh, are, are given. One is uh, uh, that the word you is used here because it's in the context of living beings and to make the point that God creates living beings, that living beings uh, 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 are ones whom God uh, God makes. Okay, now I uh, we'll see that also a specific uh, phrase about uh, the land animals, but with the great sea monsters, there's something else going on here. In the ancient world, sea monsters were considered gods in particular, and the and the Hebrew word that is used. Uh, is uh, interesting because there's derivations of it in different languages, other Near Eastern uh, languages, that speak of these, uh, these gods that were worshipped. And so here, just like in, in verse 1, the point is made God, God created everything, God created the sea monsters. That he's not equal to them, they're not other gods, but God, uh, uh, but God uh, created them. Then what else, what else is interesting here? Uh, is God blesses uh, the things that are in the water and in the air. Uh, and so you read in verse 22, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seeds, seas and let birds multiply uh, on the earth. So then the question is asked, Wow, you know, this, it would be much more um, homiletically perfect for preaching purposes if the first time the word bless would be used was for people, wouldn't that just be perfect? Oh, yes. But what we read here is that God blesses the fish and the birds, right? So the question is, why? Okay, there's several reasons that are given. Uh, one is that uh, it is that you have first the first tier of created beings. The first tier of created beings are 
uh, the animals that are in the water, the living beings that are in water and that fly, that don't live on land. And so uh, they're living beings, and so God blesses living beings, uh, and, uh, and they're to procreate. Another reason uh, about blessing specifically the birds and the fish is that they don't compete for space with people, okay? But animals do. And you know, it's very interesting that there are a couple of verses uh, in the Torah that actually talk about this. Uh, in uh, Exodus chapter uh, 23, in verse uh, uh, 29, I will not drive them out before you in a single year, speaking of the Canaanite, oh, or in verse 28 and 29. I will send hornets ahead of you, that they may drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the, the Hittites before you, but I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, and so that, that God does not specifically uh, bless the uh, land animals to fill, to fill the earth because the main uh, beings on dry ground are people uh, and not fish and birds. Birds fill the air, according to the text, and fish live uh, you know, in, the, uh, in the water. But it is interesting that God does say he blesses them and multi to, to multiply. It's the first time that we read the word bless here. Okay? And it is used, as we'll see in each case here, at the beginning, for uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to uh, procreate, to fill the, the sky and fill, uh, fill the water. Okay? All right. There you go. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Now notice it's uh, basically large domestic animals. Not necessarily like just like longhorns or something. You know what I mean? Large domestic animals, creeping things, things that crawl on the ground, whatever they may be. And then wild animals is usually how this is understood. And then wild animals after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And so all it says about them right here. But it is interesting that it says, after their kind, after their kind, after their kind. He makes a point of that, right? Uh, in other words, make them the way they're supposed to be. He made them the way they're supposed to be. Okay, after their kind, after, that, their, uh, after their species, you know, okay? Uh, and then, he sa then it's good. Remember what we said about, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good? It's good because ultimately it is good in the context of the creation of man. Not just good, but good in relationship to people. This is very important because basically the theme of the Bible is about mankind and mankind's relationship with God and how God desires to bless mankind and how God is going to restore mankind in a new heaven and, and new earth. Uh, and so it's important that when we're reading the beginning, we have, in a sense, like the end in view, you know, uh, that, uh, that remember what the story is indeed about. Uh, and so we have uh, um, these uh, words of creation. Well, now when we come 
to uh, verse uh, 26, okay? When we come to verse uh, 27, I want to make sure I, I get all of my 17 points. Anyway, okay. Uh, and let's see, where are we now? Okay, we're doing all right. Now, uh, that's all we really want to say about that, all right? Because uh, the apex of the whole thing is the creation of humanity. Now, when God begins to talk, when, or you know, when we have the narrative of the creation, there's certain changes that take place in the text. One is the whole thing slows down, that we read a lot about the creation of human beings here in chapter 1, and then basically almost all of chapter 2 is about the creation of human beings. It is the most important part of the creation, and that is not because we think too highly of ourselves as people, but because of how God views human beings. Very important. So there's a number of things going on here, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He made, uh, created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing uh, that, moves, uh, that moves on the earth. Okay, so we're familiar with some of these issues here. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Oy, 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 oy. Right? What, uh, what does that mean? What does it mean? Why does he speak in the plural? What is meant by image uh, and uh, image and likeness? Well, you have a few choices. Isn't that interesting about there's some things that we just can't be absolutely dogmatic about. Okay? You know what that means? That means, well, we can't like draw a line in the sand and say, well, you know the Lord if you understand this this way or this that way. Because some of it is simply mysterious. However, I think that there are, that we can narrow this down in, in uh, a number of different ways. Okay? So first of all, one view is that he's talking to angels, okay? He's talking to angels, the heavenly court, one might say, okay? So we could say, but angels are not people, you know, what is, so what does that mean? Well, you could counter that by saying that angels are not people, but when angels, when we see them, they appear as human beings in the form of human beings. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, so it, that's a possibility. It's a possibility. Uh, another possibility is that God is speaking within himself, okay? That, uh, uh, that the us is God's uh, plurality. Now, that's interesting. Uh, not, even, not even thinking about the, uh, you know, the triunity of God, 
But right here in this text, there's something interesting to note that in verse 27, which we're going to uh, talk about a few times, when God does it, it's in verse 27, first he says it, let us make man in our image according to uh, our likeness, the, the, the plurality. So then in verse, seven, verse 27, when it describes him doing it, it says, and God created man in his own image, the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So it's very interesting that man is created in the image of God, but in a, plur- in a plurality. It's very interesting. God created man in his image, and he describes man being created in his image as male and female. Okay? And so, uh, uh, just as uh, we'll say mankind is created in the image of God, so that must have something to do with who God is and God speaking within himself. Uh, We know, for example, we do know from uh, the Gospel of John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read about the Ruach, uh, certainly at the beginning also, in verse 2. Some would uh, translate that as wind, but I think that the Spirit of God, remember what we said about that? You, you can listen to that, about the, that uh, even though it was uninhabitable, God is overseeing it. Uh, and so, uh, it, now there's another view, uh, sort of an, this is kind of an older view, that uh, it's speaking of God's majesty, like in the plural, plural majesty. But that's, uh, I would say, probably in the ancient world, I don't think that that's how they spoke. Uh, and so that's probably, probably not it. So either this, this vision of a heavenly court, but one thing that is interesting, that uh, there is a form of deliberation taking place. Like God says, let us make man in our image. Like this is, this is unique. This is special. This is different. This is not domesticated animals. This is not fish. These are not things that fly, things that live in the water, or things created after their kind. But they're created in the image and likeness of God. So then, oi, what about image and likeness of God? Where do we go with that? I would suggest that image and likeness are not two specific things that are referring to different things. Selim and Mut. That uh, it is making a point of saying image and likeness. And and uh, you read that in several different places where the words image and likeness are used together to emphasize uh, uh, the image uh, or likeness. And so we're made like God. What does that mean? Well, some might, might limit it to mental capacity uh, or uh, to our uh, you know, ability to think abstractly, uh, uh, that we have emotions, we have a will, uh, we have intellect. But you know what's interesting about that? Now, I am, uh, I am not a zookeeper, nor the son of a zookeeper, uh, uh, but uh, I think that there are certainly animals that can think and that have a will and that certainly experience emotion. So it probably is not limited to those things, okay? What I would suggest is that it is, it is primarily, it includes that. See, it's not always and or. It includes all of that, 
but our whole being. Now, but again, I think that when you read the text carefully, the text actually tells us what is different about human beings that's different from the animals that we, that we could say create in the image and likeness of God. Well, perhaps it might have something to do with, and well, it can't be, uh, be fruitful and multiply because he says that about the animals uh, as well. But one thing that is not said about any, there's two things. This is very interesting. One is when he says here uh, in verse 28, subdue the earth and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That mankind is called to be God's like vice regents over this, over this world. And we are created in the image and likeness of God in our calling and, and what goes with that. What goes with that is there's a unique relationship that human beings have with the Creator that nobody else has. I do not think animals pray, talk to God the way we do. Now, C.S. Lewis might disagree, okay? Okay? Uh, but uh, the, the reality uh, from the Bible is man is different in this way. Uh, a created, and that's why the animals are said, the land animals are said to be created after their kind, after their kind, after their kind. But human beings are created differently in the image and likeness of God. We relate to God. And we are called to, uh, to be, as it were, the, the, the God's representatives in this world. Now, there's something else that's also interesting is that uh, in the ancient world, uh, uh, to be created in the image of God was a euphemism for being uh, royalty, for being a king. And it's very interesting. There are ancient Egyptian manuscripts and and several other kinds of manuscripts that use this uh, same kind of uh, uh, terminology for uh, a kingship. And so it is interesting because what it shows us is, is that, of course, we, uh, we are created by the one and only king, and we are called to be his regents, his kings, one might say, uh, in this in this world. Now, there's also something else, okay? Even though God tells the fish to be fruitful and multiply, and even though the animals, uh, land animals, do indeed uh, reproduce, it is, and this is interesting, it's only human beings where we read specifically where it says he created them male and female. It's kind of interesting. I mean, there are male animals and there's female animals, but it's being accentuated. Gender is accentuated when it comes to human beings. That part of our being created in the image of God is the way that we relate to each other as men and women, and by extension, the way we relate as human beings to each other. Now, first, this issue of male and female. Gee, does that apply today? I think so, right? That gender 
is very important in the creation. There is a particular order of everything that is created. And there is a particular order of the way that God has set up the universe for us to, for mankind to live and oversee this world in an orderly way. Order in the way that we relate to the fish and the birds and the animals, the land creatures, and the way that we relate to each other, and the way that primarily or beginning with the way men and women relate to each other. There is a particular order. And therefore, we are not called to change the order of what male is and what female is. You see how important it is to, to understand that, that why do we believe that? Why do we believe that? Because a benevolent God made us. Because a benevolent, real creator made us. And he made us in a way that, that represents who he is and that brings joy and satisfaction to our lives. And when we live within the order that God made us, that's how we flourish in this world as the image of God, in the image of God. So now, what this means, though, on, on a larger scale, is that perhaps it would be wise not to just think of, I am in the image of God, but more that mankind is in the image of God. God created human beings in the image, in his image and, and his likeness. And that right from the get-go, there is not one, but there is two. And it's very interesting because of the way that we read how it came about in chapter 2, which we'll get to. But that chapter 1 is making the case that the image of God, he created us in his image, in his one image, male and female. And so the primary relationship of male and female uh, is the image of God. And so therefore, you know, when we're married, uh, uh, when, and we talk about being an echad, being a one, oneness, that marriage should reflect the image of God, being an image bearer of God as a unit while still being distinctly human beings. But by extension, this does not mean that if you're not married, you are not uh, uh, participating in the image of God, as long as you're human, okay? For most of us, we qualify, right? As long as we are people, we are participating in the image of God, okay? That means that, first of all, humanity, the mass of humanity is the image of God, but the marred, the marred image of God, right? I mean, all we have to do is look out there and we see that, wow, mankind is in disorder, in disrepair, and no longer really reflects that image. However, however, in two ways, even sin does not totally mar the image. In two ways. One way is, very naturally, that there are good people out there, right? There are. I'm not talking about how to get to heaven here. I'm just saying there are good people in this world. And sometimes, in the face of tragedy, the goodness of people actually comes out. And there's like, there's the spark, you know? Uh, uh, there's that ember 
uh, you know, in that fire that looks like it's quenched, there's that ember. And so there, there, there is uh, in humanity, not certainly in every single one of us you don't see it, but certainly overall you do see, okay, the image and likeness of God. However, it is in the coming of the Messiah that inwardly and outwardly and eternally we are restored to the image. And this is why, uh, you know, you read, uh, uh, for example, in the uh, New Covenant, in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, passage you're probably familiar with, we read uh, here, beginning in verse 13, it says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the body of Messiah. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace with the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or in heaven. And although you are formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you, in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. And so, here God has created uh, mankind in his image to relate to him, to uh, be his uh, creation in this world, to, to be his, you might say, a ruling partner, one might say, in a certain respect, uh, to have a unique kind of relationship with him, Right? Uh, and here, that image is marred. This image is, is marred by sin. But you see, uh, with, within the, uh, the uh, creation of humanity, what did God do? God entered this world through humanity, through, uh, uh, through Yeshua. And through him, we, we begin the process of restoration, of being restored. And you see, so therefore... When we embrace Yeshua, we become part of the redeemed humanity. Not just it's not just my relationship with God; it's our relationship with God. We are redeemed humanity, and so therefore, within within the big set of humanity, there is the subset of renewed humanity. See. And so, therefore, uh, we reflect the image of God in community with each other. We reflect the image of God. And, of course, don't we read that in the book of Ephesians, where we, where we grow up uh, to be the mature uh, body according to the proper working of each individual part? So, all of us as redeemed people are restored to God. We now become restored image bearers, and we reflect the image and likeness of God in the way that we relate to each other, the way that we relate to the world. 
and to ourselves. We're no longer alienated from God, from this world, from each other. See? And it all comes out of, out of this. Now, let me also say this. This is the purpose in the, in the calling of Israel. When we come to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel is a subset of humanity. And God raises up this called people who are supposed to reflect the nature and the character of God. And that's why God gave Israel the Torah, so that the world could see this is the character and the nature of God. And isn't it interesting? He puts them in a land. Oh, he puts them in a land. And the land plays this, this absolutely necessary part for the people to uh, reflect the nature and character of God. It includes a land. And when the people are out of the land, that is exile. When people are in, you know, in judgment from God, when, people are, when, when Israel is in the land, completely in the land, then uh, Israel is right with God. And we'll talk more about that you know, in, weeks, uh, in weeks to come. But getting back to finish up here in uh, uh, chapter 1 here, so God uh, uh, created us as unique beings in his image and his likeness. We relate to him and we have a unique role to play uh, in, this, in this world. Okay, And uh, it goes on to say here that God has noticed, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every, every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was really good. It was really good. Okay? And there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. So the creation of man, better than good. It's really good. Or very good. See? So... Uh, what does this mean to us, you know, at the end of the day? What does this mean to us? Uh, it means that no matter how we may see ourselves, or no matter how people may uh, perceive us, we need to know that we are created in the image and likeness of God as human beings. And so, therefore, we are significant in some uh, 8. In Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed the splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him? And the son of man that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. And dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And so therefore, we see, we of all people, we need to, when we, when we look out at the world, 
we need to recognize, wow, this is, that every single person that you see is created in the image and likeness of God, whether they're reflecting it or not, whether they're reconciled to God or not. And uh, how marvelous it would be for us to be able to communicate that there can be that kind of reconciliation. And not only that, but also may we demonstrate, wow, in the way that we relate to one another, the very presence of the image of God. And may we view the animals and the trees and the fish as our responsibility. Yes, believe it or not. It's our, uh, of all people, we should see ourselves as responsible for this creation. That's what God has called us to do. And so we, we are uh, unique and significant. And God indeed created this whole world and everything in it so that we as human beings could dwell in it, we can enjoy it, we can eat from it, we can relate to God, we can rule and subdue it. The world is in a terrible place, but isn't it marvelous that God loved humanity so much that he entered into this world in humanity so that we, therefore, could be redeemed and restored and finally be able to be the men and women that we were made to be, see? Uh, And in being the men and women that we were made uh, to be, there is reconciliation and there is order. And so may uh, we recognize that and live the way that God made us indeed to be. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you. Uh, there's so much in, uh, in all of these uh, verses. Lord, you have called us to be your glory. You have called us to reflect your glory. Lord, may we be... Uh, uh, truly a reflection of you in the way that we handle ourselves. Lord, uh, we do uh, thank you, God, that you did not make us uh, like uh, cattle. You did not make us like dogs and cats. Uh, You didn't make us like fish, but you made us like yourself. Lord, uh, it it takes a lifetime uh, of knowing you more and more to understand all of the ramifications of that. But may we give you glory and honor and praise in the way that you created this world and us in it. And thank you, Lord, that you called out Israel to be the the way uh, of redemption. And out of Israel came the one, Messiah Yeshua, uh, to be the way of redemption, the way of salvation, uh, indeed, for this world. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can experience Uh, that redemption today and we look forward to that day of the complete redemption of humanity uh, and of this created world and we pray in Yeshua's name